You're listening to the North Peace Roundtable podcast, your weekly podcast about theology and the Christian life. All right, Corlin, good morning. Good morning, good morning. This is an episode of Off the Record. Woo! So this is not an official episode 80 whatever we were on. And you can't quote us. And anything we say or do in this podcast cannot be used in a court of law because this is <laughs> off the record, right? So that's correct. Say whatever you want. Tell me your deepest, darkest secrets. <laughs> we both have tea. Yes. What are you drinking? Uh, I don't remember. Tea. I think it was uh, orange. Pico? Nope. Ginger, orange, sunny orange, ginger. Oh. But your mug is Avengers and my mug is like girly paisley flowers because my Hey, wife. paisley's pretty manly. Yeah. Anyways, this is not the tea hour with Corlin and Andrew, <laughs> but thanks for tuning in. If you are new to the podcast, we do try and record these once, uh, I was going to say once a month, once a blue moon, once a week, but uh, off the record, uh, Corlin and I just come with a few different things that we've been thinking about or studying or um, I cheated a little bit because late last Ooh. night someone sent a question that I was like, sweet, <laughs> I'm going to use this as my, and it's actually a really good discussion. So, um, why don't you kick <laughs> us off Corland topic number one, topic number one. The first thing that I have to talk about today is how do we as Christians know if we are believing scholars instead of scripture? So it was a question that actually came into my mind the other day. Cause I mean, I'm sitting facing your bookshelf in your office and I see off the, like off an initial glance, like I don't actually think I see a Bible other than the one that's in front of you on a like really quick glance. I know you have them. Oh, you're sitting in front of them. That's why. So you have like one (laughs) shelf of Bibles and the rest is all scholars or commentators. Um, And we, as Christians, I think you would agree. Sola Scriptura is something that we'd like to live by in the sense that scripture is the final authority. But how do we know as Christians when we're studying into topics? Uh, if you listen to the podcast, you'll often hear us quoting like I, I've quoted Michael Heiser, Tim Mackey, Tim Keller, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we quote scholars all the time. So how in the Christian life, as we're walking, as we're learning about who Jesus is, as we learn about scripture, how do we know and how do we guard ourselves from just believing scholars instead of actually believing scripture. Cause there's lots of Bible verses that warn us about scholars or well, when I say scholars, that's with like quotation marks about people that will come in with fancy words and trick Christians into believing things that aren't of Christ. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a really good uh, question because um yeah, I mean, when I prepare a sermon, for instance, I read lots of, you know, scholars' thoughts. I probably, for the Gospel of John that we've been going through, I I consult probably most often five or six commentaries that I go to, and by some, different people, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, and then and then sometimes if the passage is like really tricky. Um, I have Logos, which is like a Bible software, which I probably have another 15 to 20 commentaries that are like digital, that aren't yeah. paper. Um, and sometimes I'll just, a lot of times there's there's such overlap and these scholars say the same thing, which I think one is a really good thing. Um, so yeah, I, I do that all the time. I'm like, okay, what does, uh, what does this commentary say? What does that commentary say? So I don't think there's anything wrong with consulting really smart people, mm-hmm. but I, I get what you're saying. How do we know that what they're saying is true? Yeah. Uh, I think, I think what brought it up for me in my mind is that I was thinking, I was like, man, I, I've stopped doing this. And is it a bad thing that I've stopped doing it? So what I used to do is like any time that I read anything or heard anything that I like didn't know the exact answer on, I'd be like, oh, I have to like, Try and sift through the entire Bible to see what the entire Bible says about that. Yeah. Uh, instead of go- like, if I Googled it, I cheated because somebody could have twisted it, right? So I, I think that's where it came from. Is like, is that what we should be doing as Christians? Is like, after you preach a sermon, should we be going through absolutely every single piece of scripture that you read and make like, what what's that balance there? I I think I'm. 
I think I would say that that's not necessary every single time for the mm-hmm. sole reason that if you are spending time in scripture, enough time in scripture that you know the narrative of the Bible, it's not that you can't be reminded of it by yeah. going to it, but it's similar to how every, it's not every single time that you look up what's two times two that you have to go to one of those like a uh, hundred square multiplication tables to like <laughs> yeah. check. Is it actually that right? Wait like as, as we learn scripture, as we learn to, follow Jesus, then there are things that you will know, yeah. right? Like I said, it's not bad to be reminded. So like, I, I know that I was dead in my sins and that it's only through faith in Christ that I'm made alive, mm-hmm. but I still read Ephesians too often. Yeah. yeah. So I think you can believe in, you know, solo, sola scriptura, scripture alone. But I think even there's, when the reformers wrote that, I, I don't think they meant like, um, Hopefully on the podcast, you can't hear these dingings. Ding. <laughs> Those are people texting me. Don't text me during the podcast. Um, I don't think the reformers meant you cannot consult anything else besides the Bible. Hmm. Because in that day and age, in the 1400s, 1500s, what was being said is that whatever the Pope says is equal with Scripture. The, Ca- the Roman Catholic Church still believes that. That's yeah. why the Pope can come out and say, hey, you know what? We're going to bless gay marriage. And even though scripture like black and white says that is sin. Yeah. Well, the Pope's words are equal to scripture. So when they said scripture alone, I mean, Martin Luther wrote lots of books and commentaries. So he obviously didn't believe you can't read anything besides scripture. Yep. But it's a, it's a check and it's a balance that when, um, when I read commentaries and, uh, you know, a Michael Heiser or, uh, uh, D.A. Carson or whoever, like really smart guys, they say things about scripture. I don't go, their words are infallible. Mm. They, they know. I just go, okay, here's a, a really smart man. Okay. Yep. This is his thoughts on some scripture. And there's lots of times when I read commentaries where I go, I don't know. I don't think I'm convinced. Like, yeah. So a couple of things that really help me is whenever it's just one guy's and I should say most commentaries are not written by just one guy. They're written by a team, of, a team of scholars, yeah. most Bible translations besides like, and maybe we'll get into, this is why the passion and the mirror yeah. Bible and other translations, we go like red flag when yeah. it's one guy saying, I rewrote the Bible. Yeah. Most are, I think the ESV has 40 trans 40 scholars. Maybe I think it's at least 40. That's quite a few. And, and that, is a reassuring thing because it's not one guy. It's 40 guys going, uh, wait a second. I don't think that Hebrew word means that. Okay, well, let's talk about it. And yeah, you know, so I think there there's, um, it's good when it's a whole bunch of people working together. Cause it, that's just a check and a balance. Yeah. It's not Joseph I mean, Smith saying, I have a new yeah. thing. It's similar to like, just as a, an example in my own head of like you and I working together when either of us have come to each other and been like, Hey, what do you think about this? This is my understanding. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I think I like the way you put it when you say that you don't like oh, this scholar's work mm-hmm. is like the final word. I, I appreciate that because I think that I think sometimes we can do that as Christians without realizing yeah, totally. it. We might not say that we're doing it, but I think sometimes we can be like, oh, this guy has like the best insight. Mm-hmm. Right. And have that attitude the attitude of that there isn't anything else that is wrong in this or whatever. Uh, Um, And and I I think that's, that's the dangerous part of it is if you're starting to turn to scholars, uh, either one for scripture in the sense of like, anytime you're doing your devotional, you're reading a scholar's book instead of your Bible. Chances are you're not (laughs) not reading the Bible. Uh, And if you are also treating whatever they say as biblical truth without Mm -hmm. ever checking any of it, uh, then there's probably something there, too. So for myself, recently, I I ran into this because I I quite enjoy Michael Heiser stuff. I don't know that I agree with him on everything. This is just an example. Um, But I checked the 
often I check the passages that he quotes when he's trying to make his points and he's throwing scripture mm-hmm. out to like say, hey, this is where we see it. I'll check and I'll read. And I have to admit the other day, one of the things that he brought up, I checked the scripture and I was like, I have no idea why you use those. Like, yeah. like the way I yeah. understand those scriptures, I don't see your point the way you're trying to present it. Yeah. But what was interesting is the rest of his point. I was like, yeah, I agree with that though. So I just didn't mm-hmm. see how the scriptures fit in. But I think that that's a good example of saying, okay, he is just a scholar mm-hmm. trying to make clear scripture. Right. Whereas if I was looking at it as like, this is the biblical truth. It's like, well, yeah. no, the, the Bible is the biblical truth. He's yeah. just trying to explain or, or understand it. Right. So yeah. it can help gain new, uh, I, I don't want to use the word insight, but perspective is maybe the better yeah. term. It helps you sit at a different seat around the person. Like we've talked about before and take a different seat and look at it. So you're still looking at the same thing, but yeah. Yeah. And I think too, like when I read commentaries, most often they all agree and I'm always, I'm always somewhat skeptical when 15 New Testament scholars say, oh yeah, okay, this is most likely what this passage means. And then there's one that says the opposite. Not saying that, uh, you know, majority wins, but I'm, I'm always slightly hesitant when I'm like, okay, yeah. like 15 really smart yeah. people are like, most likely this is what that word means. And then one guy's like, actually it means the opposite. I'm yeah. always like, yep. Okay. I'm just going to like have caution around this. What is it? So I'll give you an example. Like when we used, we talked about this last time, the whole baptism thing, you know, mm. you have, and I'm not calling the guy that taught this a scholar by any means, but yeah. he said, <laughs> he says like, Oh yeah, everyone's been doing baptism wrong. Quotes a few Bible passages. So then I dig in and no scholar that I found, none said, with him. you're right. You are baptizing yeah. wrong. Yeah. Father, son, spirit. You shouldn't baptize like that. So I go, okay. So either for 2000 years, the church has been wrong or this yeah. guy's out to lunch. So I think yeah. that's a really good, uh, you know, check and balance to just be like, okay, sometimes scholars are split down the middle and it's 50, 50. And it's just yeah. kind of like, okay, then yeah. And I appreciate that, that, that a lot of times commentaries will say, most likely we think that this means that, Yeah. but we could be wrong. Yep. Like, and, and that's reassuring because anytime someone's like, yeah, everyone else is wrong except for me. I'm like, eh, red flag. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. <laughs> yeah. I would definitely agree with that. And I, I think too, looking to, to an extent, I think a person has to be careful with this because I think there's dangers of swinging obviously far to either side. Uh, but I think looking at scholars that don't specifically agree with your viewpoint mm-hmm. can be helpful. Oh, totally. Um, one is I think that we we get very stuck into our own tracks and we start we start defining what scripture means. And I think having the church around us helps us to to see more accurately what God is conveying because mm-hmm. there is different people within the church that God has created to be in relationship with him. And so people will see things slightly differently. I'm not saying obviously on issues and we say this all the time, but on primary issues, like if you were to come to me and be like, Hey, I read scripture the other day. I don't think the Trinity is real. Yeah, You're yeah. like, well, okay, that's a big enough difference. <laughs> yeah. It's something we need to talk because yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's yeah. not accurate. Totally. But then to get into the uh, Calvinist Arminianist debate, to some extent, I think there is a bit of leeway in there mm-hmm. personally, but I also know Christians that are like, no, absolutely 100% Calvinist and the other way as well. Right. So yeah. I think we need each other to try and oh, actually yeah, totally. get an accurate view of who God is, if that makes any sense. Yeah, so totally. reading scholars is important, but I think that, yeah, recognize that when Andrew on Sunday says, hey, check what I say. He means it, right? If he's quoting well, scripture, <laughs> yeah, just well, kidding. <laughs> if he's quoting scripture, like. Yeah, if if you're not quite sure where that fits in, challenge him on it. Yeah, send him emails. Oh man, why yeah. would you say that? I'm, no, I'm kidding, but, no, it, but it's, it's true. good to do, it's right? Very true. Um, yeah, we should do that with any work that we read on the Bible. If if it's not something that we read and can be confident of, like, yes, I have seen this in Scripture over and over, and I know that to be true. If you're like, ah, I don't know how that fits, look into it. Yeah, right. Read Scripture and and read more than just the verse. Totally. We we say this all the time and it, hopefully it's starting to get to that point. If you're a listener, a regular listener, it's starting to get, you know, worked into our minds, but 
Read the context of it. Yeah, totally. If someone quotes Jeremiah 29.11, don't just read Jeremiah 29.11 because if they quote it in their book and you're like, oh, it says this, and then you read just that verse, you're like, it does say that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> you want to read the context so that you can understand totally. what is being said there. And then see, maybe the scholar is using it for a principle instead of the actual direct quote or you know, yes. those types of things. Yeah, totally. All right, so my topic, my first topic that uh, I've got is I cheated, like I said, and someone actually <laughs> sent me uh, a question, but I went, oh man, that's actually a really, I've had conversations with people who disagree with me about this, so we Ooh. might disagree. I don't Ooh. know, but they said recently around our dinner table, the discussion came up about where Jesus went for the three days oh. after he died on the cross. The Apostles' Creed has one line in particular that brought up some, dis some great discussion. So this is what the Apostles' Creed says. Uh, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And so this person's saying like, okay, it says in the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus descended into hell, but on the cross, when he was talking to one of the criminals, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Yeah. So where did Jesus go after he died on the cross, his body's buried? Where was he for three days? Dead. <laughs> that's, that's my final answer. <laughs> that's a, it's a phenomenal question. I, yeah, that has brought up debate and questions in people's mind for years. I, I'm curious. I want to hear your answer first because I, I'm, <laughs> for one, I'm not quite sure how to answer it. But for two, yeah. I, I'm just genuinely curious if you yeah. have an answer yourself or if you. Sure. Yeah. So um, a thing to remember is that the Apostles' Creed is not the Bible, not saying that it's bad. The Apostles' mm -hmm. Creed was not written by the Apostles. Yeah. Like we, we sometimes think that. So I looked, I just did a little digging. Um, the Apostles' Creed, the earliest, they, the earliest version they think of what became the Apostles' Creed was in the second century. The earliest, and that's again, like we think, yeah, the earliest written form of kind of the first, this looks like the same thing, was in AD 341. So like 300 years after Jesus, this Apostles' Creed came out. And this is what the, the first version of the Apostles' Creed said. Uh, I believe in Jesus Christ under Pontius Pilate was crucified and buried on the third day, rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the father. So there's nothing in which the, is quite similar to the Nicene creed actually yeah. with how they word it. So, so creeds are, are really important. They're, they're what, what really is a creed. Yeah. It's basically like, here's our statement of faith. If you want to call it that here's, yeah. here's, yeah. here's what we believe. But over time, as heresies arose in the church, creeds changed because they went, oh, okay, yeah, we're not, it's not that specific about. So the earliest was um, uh, the nature of Jesus. Is he God? And so, yeah. you know, begotten, not made was in one of the early creeds because they went, people were starting to think, oh, well, Jesus was created by God. So they went, okay, no, we got to have a creed that like clear, to clears, that. clears that up. Yep. So. The Apostles' Creed is great, but again, it's not scripture. It's just kind of a summary of what people believe. It's it's kind of like a uh, gospel tract. Like if somebody, sure. like, yep. you know those handouts that JWs give? Yep. This would be like the Christian equivalent. <laughs> so yeah. there might be some things, depending on which denomination yeah. you get it from, where you're like, huh, what? Yep. I, I don't know if I believe that, right? So again, so it's yeah, not when I've heard different explanations, but I don't agree with that line in the, the Apostles' Creed. Yeah, I would disagree with it. That as he well. descended to hell. Now, I, I, I get where you can get that. There's a passage in First Peter three, uh, verse eighteen that says, "For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit." in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. So I've heard it explained that, well, see, after Jesus died, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Well, clearly spirits in prison, th those are spirits in hell. 
And so there's this idea that um, Jesus went to hell and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, whatever that means. Yeah. And then he was raised from the dead. Now, um, I, I'll get to what I think First Peter 3 means, but there's a whole lot of debate. There's, you know, you have a Kenneth Copeland kind who's just loony, who thinks that Jesus literally went and suffered in hell for our sins. And he, that was part of our salvation, that he went to hell and suffered for three days in hell. Other people think that, no, he went victoriously to hell and basically said like, nah, nah, I won kind of thing, right? To these spirits in prison. And others think that he didn't go to hell at all because... Um, throughout all the gospels, it's like, I'm returning to my father. I'm going back to my father on the cross. Like this person said, he says, you're going to be with me in paradise. He doesn't say like, yeah. you'll be with me in a couple days. I got to go to hell first. Yep. So I, I don't believe that Jesus went to hell. I believe that when he says on the cross, it is finished. He meant it's finished. I don't have to go to hell and suffer. Yeah. When he died, when, when, when it, when someone says it's finished, it's finished. Like he doesn't have to go and suffer more. He suffered everything. And yeah. then his, he was with his father in heaven. Now, uh, the debate on first Peter three, uh, some people think that the spirits in prison are the, the Genesis six, uh, spiritual beings. If you know, Genesis six, the Nephilim the, story. Yeah. And the sons of God took uh, daughters of men. And, yeah. and so they say, well, and again, there's debate on that even, but oh yeah, these were spiritual beings, demons who, who uh, had sex with women. And so God uh, kept them in prison. So in Jude verse nine, it says that they didn't stay in their proper place. And so they're kept in chains. And some people say that's the, hmm. those spiritual beings. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like those Specific demons, God was like, this is so egregious. I'm keeping you in chains. Yeah. And so Jesus goes and, to those. and proclaims to these, those specific spirits that, um, I don't know what he proclaimed. Yeah. Now, others think that when it says, uh, in, in which, cause it says he's made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits of prison. They formerly didn't obey. Some say that. Well, what that means is that it was Jesus through Noah who was proclaiming in Noah's day that it was the spirit of Christ. Like all the prophets, Mm. Noah was a prophet. He was proclaiming that they need to repent and no one listened. And so it's just like a, it's an artistic way of saying, yeah, Jesus was there with Noah when he proclaimed judgment Yeah, and they didn't listen to him. Yeah. So I, for me, I'm like, uh, I lean more towards, yeah, you're mentioning Noah, God's patience. Only a few people were saved. Oftentimes, uh, prophets are called, you know, they, they're proclaiming in the spirit. So I, I think it's just, a, a hearkening back to the days of Noah, where it's like Jesus was there proclaiming to these people and yet they didn't listen to him. Mm. But I could see how you might think, yeah, there's these weird demons in hell and Jesus went on like a quick, quick detour. I got to go to hell quick and proclaim whatever. Yeah. And then I'm going to heaven. I wonder if it's because, because there's that period of time where he is dead. I wonder if it's because we in our humanity want to fill that with something other than the fact that he's dead. So it's like, okay, well what was he doing during that time? Right? Like, why, why was it three days? Why did it take so long before he was resurrected? Why was it not just like a death and pop back up mm-hmm. and hop off the cross and mm-hmm. away he went, right? I I will, like, to be honest, I don't think that I actually have enough uh, information backlogged in my head to be able to, like, call to the front uh, facts to have, like, a coherent answer to this. Um, but I will say, the, the one point that I, I would like to talk about a little bit is the the fact of the three days into something new that's an archetype that happens throughout scripture quite mm-hmm. a few times mm-hmm. um it's it's not a random amount of time so if you're if you're with me there's probably even the idea of like uh jonah in the belly mm-hmm. of the great sea creature um that was three days in death if you if you read jonah's language he he knows he is on the brink of death he mm-hmm. knows he is mm-hmm. dying yeah and when the fish 
vomits him out, he gets sent on his mission. There's a, a chance at new life with yeah. quotation marks around it. Yeah. Uh, and that's just one example. There, There is many others in the Old Testament of this archetype of like, you're living one way, so to speak, and then there's three days and then there will be an overturn and you will be made new or given new chance. So now it's not that Jesus was living one way, was wrong, died and was given a new chance. It's that he was living in a fleshly worldly body like you and I live mm -hmm. in right now, mm -hmm. uh, but lived the perfect life, died, was dead for those three days, like the rest of those symbolic and or real events, right? And then was raised into the new body, right? When we, when his disciples see him, he is living in the new body. So it's yeah. the, the three days as an archetype that happens before that Jesus completes perfectly, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. So that's where my mind goes to. It's, I, it's interesting. I have questioned where he went for me. That's not one that I've ever really like wrestled with. So I, I haven't actually looked into yeah. it all that much. And I think that's probably all I'll say. Otherwise I'll probably make myself look like a fool. Yeah. I think, What's important, though, is that um, Jesus... It, okay, so if he went to hell to proclaim something, um, we have to be really careful like that it doesn't... So I, I, Kenneth Copeland is wrong when Jesus had to suffer in hell. Um, I, just, I just can't believe that because, I mean, he declared on the cross it's finished and I don't think he had to suffer anymore spiritually in hell so i think that's a, a view that's like a little bit twisted um some people have said that he goes to the spirits in prison to give them a, a second chance like it's like people who are in hell or spirits that are in hell it's there's this idea that well jesus after he died he goes to hell and he proclaims the gospel to them and gives them a chance right but we know from scripture that um spiritual beings are not given right a second chance to believe the gospel. Um, I think that's in Jude where it says like, God doesn't give demonic forces a chance to believe the gospel. It's like too late. So it can't be that Jesus goes and says to everyone in hell, all right, you'll get a second chance. I died. I'm here for you. Are you, yeah. you want to come with me? Yep. So I think there's certain elements of it that you just can't, you can't go that far. Now, whether Jesus went to hell to proclaim like, Hey, I've, I'm victorious and then he goes to be with the father. Okay. Or if it's uh, an allusion to Noah and the spirit of Christ being in Noah as a prophet. Yeah, maybe. So I think you're right that there's, this is one of those ones that's just like, we don't just, we just don't know for sure. But um, it, it's a weird thought to think of uh, Jesus going to hell to suffer. And by weird, I mean like it's weird enough that I don't think there's scriptural evidence of like, like, if you think of the classic North American view of hell of like little red demons poking you with pitchforks and there's fire burning, I, I don't think there's evidence for that in scripture. Sure. Uh, from what I can think of, but there is an interesting line in, in Matthew in the gospel of Matthew in chapter 27. Um, when at noon, the darkness falls across the whole land, uh, until three o'clock and when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Or why have you forsaken me? Depending on your translation. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm curious, do you think that that has any, like, any insight into this? Like for him to cry out, why has God forsaken him, turned his back on him because of the sin that was on him? Do you think that that has anything to do with it? Because I, I know Christians often describe hell as a, like a place where God isn't, mm -hmm. right? And all throughout scripture, God is trying to, you know, show his face to his people so that they'll know him. So I, I don't know. I'm not trying to push forward anything. I'm just genuinely curious because it was a verse that came to mind of yep. like. Yeah, I think that has more to do. Yeah, because then you can get into whole is hell a place or is it? And I am of the belief that hell is a physical place. Uh, what? Well. well it will be a physical place because judgment is physical. It's mm -hmm. the resurrection of the dead. Yeah. So it's not just a spiritual floaty place. So I think hell is actually a place. And I think sometimes we try and get around how awful it is by being like, well, is hell actually a place or is hell just the absence of God? 
But from everything I read in scripture, it's described, it's not described as, yeah, red pitchforks and blah, 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 blah. But it's described as a a place. I mean, spirits are being held in hell right now, whatever that means. And I don't think it's just like a, a concept. So I've heard people say, well, Jesus went through hell on the cross. I'm like, okay, I, I get what you're saying, but I think God's when, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, because yeah, the sins of the world was on him and God, God in some type of spiritual way, I don't understand his wrath was being poured out onto Jesus, which wouldn't that be, you could call that hell. Yeah. That's what, but I think it's dangerous to say like, well, hell's not a place. It's just kind of like an idea. Hmm. I think there's danger in that because I think other scriptures point to the fact that hell is a place. Um, it's not just a concept because then oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, then the idea of Satan is, well, he's just kind of an idea. He's not a real spiritual being. Mm. I've heard that. Yeah. And for me, it's kind of a slippery slope where it's like, well, well, evil's kind of an idea. It's not. And I'm just like, Ugh. I think our concept of hell in the West is wrong for sure. I don't think it's like, like for the majority is. What I don't think mean. it's like the ground opens up and oh, I fall and now I'm in a cave that's, you know, got the weird little devils poking yeah. me. I think that's totally wrong. I think um, someone even asked that now, like, are people in hell now? I'm like, that's a great question. Yeah. Because Revelation talks about death and Hades being thrown into hell at the final judgment. So I, there's a lot of mystery. The Bible talks a little bit, but there's a lot of, even about heaven, there's a lot of like, what exactly is heaven going to be like? And there's a lot of metaphor and imagery that's used. But I think... Uh, I think heaven is a real place now. It's not just a concept, right? Yeah. And so I think whatever you want to call it, Hades, hell, punishment, I think it's a place. But I, I get how people could say, yeah, Jesus went through hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's the his fullness judgment, of God's his wrath, wrath was poured yeah. out on him, then that, that, like, if we would say that for a regular human being that hell is the fullness of God's wrath being poured out on them mm-hmm. because they didn't accept Christ, and there is an element of, like, well, yeah, for but, the language that we use, then there maybe is grounds to say it. But I think that it's... Because then I've, I've heard people say, like, well, yeah, I mean, we've created hell on earth, so we're going through hell right now. I'm like, well, I get what you mean. Yeah. But I think it's real danger. It's om- it's and maybe I just ne- have never heard it fully, but I've always heard it as an excuse to like kind of get rid of hell. Like, Cause it just sounds so bad. The nastiness. It, of yeah. It. It's just, yeah. And so, yeah. Where do people who don't believe in Jesus, where do they go now when they die? I don't, it, it's called Hades. It's called punishment. I don't, I really don't know. Yeah. And are they in hell now? M- maybe, but it seems to me that hell is kind of like At the waiting end. till the end. Yeah. But I, I don't think it's just a, a concept. You're not just sitting in a waiting room. No, and that's think. more of a Catholic idea of purgatory. Everyone goes to purgatory where you just kind of like, you have to got the doctor's You pick your music. number and you wait for judgment. Yeah. And you're sitting around waiting for the yeah. end. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's like that. So I think there's truth to say that on the cross, Jesus experienced hell. I would be comfortable. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's awful in in the fullness of God's wrath. But I, yeah, I think that it's fair to also say that there isn't like, like to experience God's wrath. We experience the cup of God's wrath when we sin and there is judgment for us Mm. here on earth. Right. So like it's, it's one of those things where if you, if you say it one way, then what do you mean for all the other examples? Right. So I, yeah. Like I think I, that I, it's fair to say that, yeah, he experienced hell, but I think that it was because of God's judgment being mm-hmm. poured out on him and the death was a physical death that he died to yeah. be raised into new life. And I've heard of explained too, like even like believers on the earth here and now, this is the closest we'll ever be to hell. Like just the suffering, the pain, yep. the heartache, the, the judgment that, uh, that God, you know, it's like in Romans one where he just kind of takes his hands off and allows society to collapse. And then I've heard people say unbelievers right now living physically on the earth, this will be the closest you ever get to heaven. 
yeah. because you experience love and beauty and, yeah. you know, art and Even all that kind of stuff. We're completely so I'm depraved. like, I, I get what you're saying. There's elements of, yeah, sometimes we go through hell on earth because of just sin. Yeah. But that doesn't negate the fact, I think, that there is a physical place called hell where yep. where you'll spend eternity if you don't trust in Jesus. It, I think it can be both. And maybe it's just the language around it is different from how we use language. Like yeah. when I say like, man, I've, I actually don't say this, but I was going to say <laughs> someone's like, man, I've had, I've had a hell of a year or whatever. Like yeah. when you say like my year's been awful, I get what you mean. Yeah. And yeah, we experience really awful things because of sin and, but it's not, it's not the final hell, Yeah. but I get the language that people yeah. use. Sometimes it's just confusing, I guess. Yeah. And I think that's part of even why we don't understand some of these things. And I'm not saying it's like the fullness of why we don't understand no. them, but I think it's part of it is that we like, even as Christians, we, um, I don't know what word to use. We, we cheapify it. If that makes any sense, <laughs> yeah. we, we throw those words into everything. So it's like, Oh, what the hell? Or it's like, I'm having a hell of a day or great. Man. Now it's going to be explicit on the, yeah. <laughs> it'll have the little, yeah. e next, the little E next to it. <laughs> but like we do stuff like that or like, Oh man, this ice cream so good. It's like, I'm in heaven. Like we, yes. we do that. Totally. Right. And like, again, it's like you said, we would understand what you mean, but I think that we take some of the weight away from it yeah. when we, when we talk about some of those things, because yeah. it's, it, again, the concept of experiencing something really good, it would be, you know, yeah. we, we can understand those concepts, but it, I don't think that that's the point of heaven and hell is to, you know, yeah. it's not just a bad day where something goes wrong. No. Like hell is an eternity of God's judgment, yeah. not just, not just a consequence for a action. No. Right. Yeah. And it's in even interesting. Like uh, C.S. Lewis, for instance, wrote the great divorce, an entire book about heaven and hell kind of in like a narrative form. And, and in that book, he painted a picture and I think he got away with it cause he was like, it's just a story. Yeah. But he painted the picture of hell as just kind of like this gray, gloomy, rainy city where mm -hmm. it's just always depressing, but there's a bus that comes every now and then. And you have a choice to get out of that town to go to heaven. Ah. And, but just no one ever chooses to, because they just, and then, so the whole story is this one guy gets on the bus and then he goes to heaven and then he describes heaven and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's just like, I, th I find that really fascinating Yeah. because there's just so many, well, it's, okay, it's fire, but it's darkness. And I've heard people say, well, no, there is a type of fire that doesn't cast any light. I'm like, I think that's missing the point. Like, yeah. it's trying to describe just awfulness. I think hell is way worse than the Bible describes because we're just trying to, how do I put into being separated from everything that's good like yeah. we can't even imagine yeah. that yeah i i i would agree i think it's like a, it's yeah a picture mix. your life now everything good about it taken away we would just be like i can't even imagine that yeah and so i i find it fascinating when we try and pinpoint exactly like this is exactly what hell will be like it's yeah. like well Maybe um, one is you just, if you're listening, you don't have to go there. Just trust in Jesus and yeah. you don't have to ever experience it. Yeah. Right. But so, that it, that shouldn't be, it should never be something to, to make you like, you shouldn't, it shouldn't be fear mongering yes, that makes totally. you come to Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It should be a love of Christ that makes you come to Christ. Yes. And, and a fear of the Lord. But yeah, that's. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we're going slightly. Yeah, we're kind of, now. we should like, okay, okay. Yeah, great question. Uh, I don't think we can know for sure where Jesus went. My conviction is that he did not go to hell, but that uh, he was with his father uh, for those three days. Uh, anyways. All right, Corlin, what do you got for us? So for my next question is... As Christians, should we be setting out fleece? So the reason I'm bringing this up is there is a story in the Bible, if you're familiar with it, where one of our beloved Bible heroes sets out a fleece. And Which is, one? Which Bible hero? The one that does it. Gideon? I, Gideon. <laughs> um, and he, he sets out a fleece and he tests with quotation marks God and is sure. like, hey, if you want me to do this, make the fleece wet. And then it is. And he's like, okay, cool. 
but if you actually want me to do this, mm-hmm. make everything around the fleece wet, and then it happens. And he's like, okay, but if you actually want me to do this, right? And, he, and yeah. so the story goes. So as Christians, when we are trying to make decisions in life, mm-hmm. um, like which ice cream to buy or where <laughs> we should have a job or anything like that, like should we be setting out fleece. And I don't necessarily mean that each one of us should have a fleece that we go and set out in our yard and we pray the same prayer. And it's always like, okay. And the same cycle. Yes. But should we be testing God in those ways? Should we be actually like testing, you know, if, if we get a, a opportunity for promotion at work, should we be, can, is it safe to use the wisdom that God has given us to just say, okay, my family is at this stage in life. Mm-hmm. I can take this job and still honor my family and honor God by honoring my family. More importantly, I can still serve in the church. I can still, you know, send money to the missionaries that I'm caring for. I can, you know, X, Y, Z, I can still do these things. Uh, the cons don't outweigh the pros. Okay. I'll just, I'll just mm-hmm. go for it because mm-hmm. it, it works. Or should we be sitting there saying, okay, God, like, hmm. where do I go? Give me a sign. Like, make sure like, if somebody comes and says peaches to me, then I'll take the job or, you know, like <laughs> I'm giving really extreme examples to try and get the point across, but I like, know, I know. should we, should we be doing that in our everyday life with everything that we encounter? Yeah, I think, uh, yes and no. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, because what you're basically asking is like, yeah, how do we determine the will of God for yeah. our yep. lives? Um, I, I think the, the no is, no, we should not be for everything like uh, asking for some kind of sign from God to know like, God, where am I going to eat at which restaurant tonight? What's your uh, will? I'm thinking uh, in the grand scheme of things, God doesn't care where you eat for dinner. I And I know that people are like, but he cares about everything. Yeah, but there's far more important things in your life than yeah. what you're going to eat. So I think there's a danger of like, I'm going to look for signs for every single decision I make. And yet, uh, uh, like so example from my family's life, um, when we took the job up here, we asked God for some specific things because I'm like, this is a massive decision. I am moving my entire family away from family. Yep. Uh, to a city that we've never lived in. We have no family, no friends in this city. I'm like, this is massive. Um, and so, you know, there was a few things that it wasn't like, um, God, you must show me a sign. It was more like as we prayed on, uh, on the plane ride up to, um, uh, oh, I better, my computer just said, do you want to install updates right now? No, I don't. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Remind me tomorrow. Um, uh, but it was like, okay, God, as we go up, Lord, if if you are calling us to Fort Saint John, uh, we have please let Molly and I be on the same page, and that we just ha- we have to love this city. And halfway through candidating, we both were like, I think we would really love it here, and both of us said that. So we kind of took that as, okay, God, like, I think you're behind this. And then when we uh, left, and then the church was having a meeting to vote on us, both Molly and I prayed and we said okay god like if you want us to because i wanted to make sure is this just me going hey it's a paycheck yeah yep but i said okay god if you if you really are calling us to move our entire family to fort st john the vote at the church let's just say it's got to be higher than 95 percent. we will take that as a sign from you that we're supposed to say yes to this job so then the church called and, hey, would you come and be the pastor here? And I just asked, well, can I ask, what, what was the percentage? And they said it was 98%. So we just took that as a, mm. okay, Lord, well, it looks like we're moving, right? Yeah. And it, it for me, it wasn't a like, um, I didn't, it, it was just almost like a confirmation of mm. like, we loved the town. Yeah. We thought this could be a really good thing, but it's like, it was like that one last confirmation. So I think there's, there's times when it's appropriate to do that it's not testing god i think it's just like a god i really don't know what to do like can you just somehow give me a i hate saying give me a sign because it might not be like you know a billboard is put up that says do this thing it might be that you have a, a sense of 
just rest and peace. Mm. I've heard people say like, I had two decisions to make and I chose this job and I had an overwhelming sense of peace. Like I had made the right decision. I think that's totally God being like, yep. And if I've had people where like, I made this decision and I had, I was, I had no rest. Yeah. So I know that I made the wrong decision. So yeah. there, it could be that it may not necessarily be like, I'm going to lay out an actual fleece. <laughs> yeah. Um, even in the New Testament, the church, we have a few examples where they cast lots for yeah, things. That was that's where my question yeah. was going after this. Like to decide who replaces Judas, they had two guys that they thought. Uh, I'll just read it. It's in Acts chapter one. They had two guys that could fit the job. Both guys were like good. Can you imagine if we did that in the church nowadays? Everyone, yeah. we want an Acts chapter so I've two been church. In, I was a part of a church where I applied for the summer internship and it was between me and another guy and they cast lots. Actually? Yep. Wild. And they chose him and I was like, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you chose wrong. Stupid chance. But they, um, it says that um, they're all meeting and we have to, uh, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to like Skim peruse. Through. Yeah. And we have to choose a uh, they have to be people who accompany us during the the whole time. So there were some qualifications. They have to be guys that were with Jesus. Yeah. And so they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice. I'm like, pick a name, man. Yeah. And Matthias. <laughs> they prayed and they said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots. And the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So whether they threw sticks or rocks, or, we don't know. But it says that they prayed. Okay, God, we got two qualified guys. You pick. And then they like rolled the dice and it was like, Matthias. Isn't that a wild concept that yep. God who knows everything will use something that we view as chance, but he'll divinely intervene. Yep. And like, that's a wild concept. So I think it, it's, there's a danger. We're not saying that you go out and you get a die. And for every decision, even you're numbers, like, all numbers. right, God, where should we go for vacation? One through three is Hawaii. Four through six is Bermuda. Like, no, I think that's that's taking it too far um, because, I, again, I'm like, God has given us a brain and wisdom, like you said, yeah. to make decisions, um, even like big decisions. Like, yep. are we going to do this? Are we not going to do this? I think God's given us a brain that we are able to to decide. But then there's sometimes where you're like, God, I just, I really don't know what to yeah, do. And you might be back and forth where one moment you're like, yep. okay, yes, I'm confident that this is what God wants me to do. And then the next day you'll be like, Nope, I'm sure this is yeah, yeah, the yeah. exact opposite is what God wants me to do. And God's given us other people. Like I know, uh, yeah, I've gone to people who are wiser than me and I've said yep. like, what do you think? Yeah. And they've weighed in and sometimes that really helps. And then sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes yeah. you're still like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Um, I, I think like for myself when I've been going through or when I'm going through stuff like that, I think one of the things that I've consistently reminded of is that when God doesn't just give us an outright answer for one of those decisions in life is that um, I think sometimes he allows us to to sit in that unrest so that we have to trust him. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, it's not to say that God is a God of the 11th hour in the sense of like at the, at like at the last moment, he'll do something for you. Yeah. But if we think about it, how long since the beginning of creation did all of creation wait after the fall until Christ came? Yeah. Right. And he came at the perfect time. Yeah. Right. So if you think of God's timing in that sense of like all of those years of suffering and horrible pain and heartache until Christ came. And now we're still in a moment where we're waiting for his return. Like how long? And yet he will come at the perfect time. So if you think of it, and it's not that there haven't been pain and suffering after that, the beauty of the cross. Right. So yeah. I think. I'm not by any means trying to compare our daily life to like, you're dying on the cross. But like, if you, <laughs> if you are waiting on a decision that feels really big to you and you're back and forth and back and forth, I think sometimes God allows us to rest in that back and forth by rest. I just mean sit so that we have to say, okay, God, only, you know, the, the plans for your creation. Yeah. I will sit and trust in you. Um, lead me guide me right god is faithful to convict us yep um if you are listening to his holy spirit if you are sensitive to that you will know if you are heading away from god yeah totally 
Yeah, and I think ultimately, I mean, First Thessalonians 4, 3 says, this is the will of God. You're like, oh, okay, this is important. Yeah. Here's the will of God, your sanctification. I mean, bottom line, end of the day, in whatever kind of decisions that you make, God's will is that you would be sanctified. Yeah. So I think that's super helpful. Again, I'm not downplaying like really big decisions, but it's like, okay, you know, where should we live, God? Which house should we pick? I think ultimately God's will is that wherever you live, that you would be sanctified. And that it, he goes on that you would abstain from sexual morality, know how to control your own body in holiness and honor, not in passion, um, on and on and on and on. So I think ultimately it's like, okay, whether I live in the north part of town or the south part of town, for me, I'm like, I'm not going to cast lots about that because ultimately where whatever neighborhood I live in, God yep. wants me to be sanctified. Yeah. And, and to honor him. So yeah. if, if you are going to make a decision again, using extreme examples. So like if you're choosing jobs and one of them is like, I don't know, a job in the Bahamas where you're there for three years and never see your family. And all you get to do is text them and you have committed to your wife to say, I will always work beside you. Well then probably don't take the one in the Bahamas, yeah. even though you get to do everything your little heart desires, right? Like yeah. the, it's an extreme example, but if you, if God's will is that we're sanctified and that we honor him, then consider if you take X, mm -hmm. Y, Z job, can you still do those things well? Yeah. Not just can you do them mediocre, but can you do them well? Is there mm -hmm. ways that you can even change it? Like God has given us wisdom to to know yeah. or to discern in those scenarios. Yeah. Right? So totally. So buy a set of dice and start casting lots. <laughs> just a, it's a that's a rabbit hole of a conversation. Well, we've been recording for 51 minutes. Nice. But I got another one if we want to keep going. I, I got time. We can give the people what they want. I got, yeah, episodes. give the people what they want. I'm, I actually have two. So Do they go hand in hand? Or no. Are they, oh. So you can decide. Either we talk about uh, church membership Ooh. or we talk about intercessory prayer. Oh, man. Why do you make me choose on those two? Why you make me choose? <laughs> oh, man. I get I get good and fired up about church membership. That could be an interesting one. But also, intercessory prayer is one that I hear a lot about recently. So, like... Oh, we should... Okay, here. We're going to... While you're watching... Okay, we're going to cast... Uh, <laughs> okay, so I'm going to flip... I don't have any, I don't have any oh, coins. So, I'm going to flip my debit card... <laughs> <laughs> so I wish you could see this, listeners. If it lands like face up with all the numbers on it, yeah, church membership. Okay, and if it lands uh, face down with like the signature, oh, I haven't signed the, the mag strip. The mag strip. Then that's uh, intercessory prayer. All Kay. right, here we go. Inter intercessory. Oh, that was prayer. a last minute bounce. That was a last minute. There you go. All right, intercessory. You prayer. guys experienced it here. The Lord has guided us. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if God's like. You guys. <laughs> okay, intercessory prayer. So um, maybe we'll give a definition, but the reason I had a, just a comment from somebody, um, and uh, I'm not going to give names or any like Aww, uh, detail just because like, you know, privacy or whatever. But someone was like, okay, have you heard of this new thing where some people are teaching that you can literally like go to God? So let's say I went to God and yeah. I just felt like, I need to pray for Corland, but it's this idea that I can go to God and be like, Hey God, it's me, Corland. And I'm coming to you in the name of Corland to, and sometimes people say like, you can confess sin for somebody else or, and they say that's, you know, and I should have looked it up, but there's, there's a bunch huh. of Bible passages about like, I'm standing in the gap, right? Nehemiah talks about like, we need someone to stand in the gap for yeah. us. <laughs> and so they, they take that as, um, I can go to God and I can say like, you know, God, I'm coming to you today in the name of Corland, and I know that he's struggling with this. And so I just want to confess that on his behalf and da, 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 da. Is that what the Bible means about intercessory prayer or what is intercessory prayer? Oh man. <laughs> Why did the I, card flip yeah. on that side? I, the where to start, like how, how deep do we want to go with that? Cause it's, Again, 
you're going to Old Testament passages, prophets talking about we need someone to intercede for us. Um, if you go back to uh, Moses on, I believe it was Mount Sinai, where he intercedes for the people. God is like, I'm so angry. Mm -hmm. I am going to destroy this people. Like, stand mm -hmm. back, Moses. I'm going to restart with you. Mm -hmm. And Moses intercedes for the people and is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, yeah. hold up. Like, remember your promise and stuff. And then God uh, changes his mind, which is another whole topic of conversation. Um, but it's something that comes up so much. I think to, to try and start us off in the sense of like figuring out which way our compass is pointing when we talk about these things, I think we often think whenever we read a word like intercessor and we see that pattern, then we think, okay, this still has to happen today. Not wrong on that thought. But what happens is, is that we're like, Hey, I wonder how I fill that role. Right. So, so yeah. the Catholics would, uh, the way that I've understood how they would do this is that they would pray to the saints of old mm -hmm. who are like mediators. Yeah. Who would then go and talk to God on behalf of them. Yeah. And, and also the Catholic belief is that I can pray on behalf of people who have already died. Yeah. Hey, so-and-so is in purgatory. I'm just praying that they'll make it. Kind yeah. Of thing. Yep. Yeah. Mormons, similar thing. You can do baptisms on, on behalf, behalf of, of people. dead people. Uh, you can do all of the, like their secret handshakes and everything on behalf of dead people so that they'll get to higher levels of heaven. Um, and, and it would be like this interceding for them where it's mm -hmm. like, well, we don't know if they made it. So let's do this on behalf of yeah. them. Right. So if with what you were describing of that, what you've heard people talk about where it's like as Christians, we can go and confess sin for other people. We can go and blah, blah, blah. I, the, the idea, <laughs> the idea of needing somebody between you and God, correct. But that person is Jesus and Jesus oh. alone. Mm. Amen. That work is complete, right? So there is lots of scripture. Yeah, I mean, First Timothy two five. There's one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So, I mean, the Bible's clear. There's one mediator. We don't pray to saints. We don't. Jesus is the mediator yeah. who gave his life as a ransom for many um, or all is what he says. But I think the idea of intercessory prayer is, yeah, if you, if you um, were in the hospital and uh, you had cancer and it looked real bad, I believe intercessory prayer is that I'm coming to God. And I hate saying on your behalf, but it's like, I'm coming to God saying like, God, please intercede in, in Corlin's life. Please heal him. See, and maybe you're unable to pray for yourself because you're in a coma because, and I just feel like that I'm coming or when we pray for uh, other churches in town or we pray for our city, it's like we're coming to God. And I think that makes so much more sense of standing in the gap. It's like, God, we're praying for our town. Would you please like yeah, do something? That's interesting. Cause like in my but I don't come to God going, hey, God, it's me, Fort St. John. It just seems yeah. like we're trying to like. I think that's where for me the language of intercessory prayer, if the, like under the definition that you just gave or the examples that you just gave, to me, that's not actually intercessory. Interse yeah. Okay, to me, going. that would be like a coming alongside or like. Sure. And, and intercessory in my mind is more of a like there is a, a metaphorical or physical gap in the like connecting of two things and you would stand in the middle of that. So I would say that someone who is in a coma doesn't okay. need you to stand in the gap. So you're, you're right. So I, I actually think intercessory prayer is not biblical. <laughs> Here's why. And maybe it might, I, I just, I just took it as I'm just praying for people on behalf of someone, but it says, uh, what I, did you Google first? I said, I Googled intercessory prayer. Okay. So this is, what's the difference between prayer and intercessory prayer? It goes deeper, and this is where the difference occurs. Intercession involves a standing in the gap, an intervention, a stepping in on somebody else's behalf through prayer. Don't get confused. We can all pray for people when we're with them and when or when we're not, but intercession goes deeper. So intercessory prayer, I'm just going to click on this article, would be the idea that exactly what I said, I'm coming to God on your behalf. Yeah. So I, Hey God, I'm coming to you on behalf of Corland, which I go, there's nothing biblical about that. Yeah. You Corland can go to God on your own <laughs> because of what Christ has done because Christ has interceded for us. And so, Oh man, 
This is the start of the article. Desperate for more of God. Don't know how to get it. Longing to talk to him more. It's like, okay. So, yeah, I would say then intercession. Um, so where, where this, where this actually, sorry, I shouldn't cut you off. Go ahead. No, I'm just, you, you talk cause I'm trying to pr- peruse Put your thoughts. Okay. This. So I think where this comes from is in scripture, for example, you take someone like Moses and he was a great uh, priest, so to speak, in the sense that he would intercede on behalf of the people so like the israelites would be sitting at the base of the mountain and we're too scared to go see god can you go up so moses would go up and he would talk to god and god would talk to moses and moses would come down and talk to the people interceding on behalf of the people right but when moses dies at the end of uh deuteronomy i believe it is yeah uh they put in scripture they're like we have not had a priest like moses Uh we need a guy like him and the rest of the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus being like, we need someone desperately. And there's a few characters in there that that try to fit the bill, but fail miserably because we're human, yeah. right? Because they were human. They were not Jesus. They were not God. They were not perfect. They couldn't do it. Yeah. And so what it was is it's this image. It's this, this uh, beautiful reality that we as broken people cannot be face to face with God cannot be in right relationship with God because he is so completely and utterly holy that it would be dangerous for us to be close to him because that holiness means that in the presence of sin, there must be justice mm-hmm. and wrath poured out on that sin. Mm-hmm. So without someone coming in between us and God to say, I will stand in their place. We can't do that. That's why when Jesus fulfills that he's called the great high priest, he's, mm-hmm. he is, of the line of Melchizedek, right? He's it's this image of somebody who is standing in between us and God and saying, God, not, he's not saying this to God. He is God, but he, it's this image of, uh, when we stand before God, God views Christ's righteousness as our own. Hmm. And Christ is the only one that can fulfill that. So if we look to saints to fulfill that, or if we hope Uh, If someone is in a coma and we're praying prayers and doing secret handshakes in a temple to try and make sure that they get into heaven, we have no power to do that because that's not what the Holy Spirit even does for us. So it's really, really important to understand that it is Christ alone who stands before God on behalf of us. And when we pray, I can't remember the the scripture. Maybe I should Google it really quick. Maybe Hmm. I get lucky and find the right one but i'm quite sure that there is a scripture that talks about how uh, i think you brought it up in one of your sermons where we can go to god yes yeah because god loves us right yeah that was in john that was last week yeah so so jesus himself says that we can do that because of his love that he has had through christ right so we don't I, I've heard it explained where it says, like, if we were to pray to a saint or if somebody prays for us, it's like a friend praying for someone. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's completely different. It's not even the same concept. Yeah. It's not that we, I, I'm not saying you should pray to saints because I think that's not biblical. Mm-hmm. But if a friend, like if I was to go to you, Andrew, and say, Andrew, can you please pray for me? It's not that I'm asking, okay, I'm going to go to Andrew because he's more holy than me and he, God mm-hmm. loves him more. So he, when he talks to Jesus, then Jesus will listen and talk to God and then I will have my prayer answered. Yeah. Because of what Christ has done, I can go directly to God. Yeah. But as followers of Christ, God has so graciously given us the church to come around us so that iron sharpens iron and so that we can stand and bear each other's burdens that when I come to you and say... Andrew, I have sinned in this way. Can you please pray for me? Like I yeah. need, I need God's spirit to continue to rejuvenate me and make me more like his son. Then that's two brothers coming together and lifting each other up. Yeah. Not in the sense of exalting one another, but in the sense of like, like picture more so that I would be face down in the mud and Andrew is coming and helping me stand back up right. to continue the walk. Yeah. Right. And reminding me of who God is and praying to God that God would help me. It's not that you're interceding. It's that you're coming alongside and walking that journey. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. That was a lot of words. What are your thoughts after perusing? The no, article? I'm n- nothing. Um, yeah, I think <laughs> some, t- yeah, intercession. It's, it's, I, I just was perusing a few articles while you were talking. Multitasking, which my wife says I can't do, but I just proved it. Um, what did I say? 
but inner yeah uh, some <laughs> some very charismatic people would define intercession as that like i'm coming to god on behalf of Corlin, and it's almost like a a uh, super special type of prayer that has more power. One guy wrote that intercess- intercessory prayer is holding to the will of God and not letting go until he answers you. I'm like, okay, well, I disagree with all that. Yeah. Another article just said intercessory prayer is the act of praying on behalf of others, which, and then he, he explains himself being like, it's like when Paul prays for the church. It's like when... You know, other and he says there's only one mediator. It's it's Jesus. Mm. Um, but we are we are called to pray for one another. So if you would define intercessory prayer as I'm praying for other people, God, I'm coming to you today. and I'm just lifting up my brother Corlin. Would you please? Sure. Then. Yeah. But to say like, God, I'm coming to you as Corlin today. It's like and that's mm. what this person said. Like, that's what's kind of being taught. I'm like, yeah. that's not biblical. Yeah. So. And then I like that this guy says that um, there is an erroneous idea in contemporary Christianity that those who offer up intercessory prayers are a special class of super Christians called by God to a specific ministry of intercession. The Bible is clear that all Christians are called to be intercessors in his definition, praying for each other. All Christians have the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And just as he intercedes for us in accordance with God's will, we are to intercede for each other. It's not a privilege limited to an exclusive elite. This is the command to everybody. Um, so I agree with that, where you're not some special class of Christian where I'm called to pray on behalf of others. Yeah. I mean, there's one mediator. It's Jesus. Yeah. And yet we're all, I'm called by to God pray and, to bring. Yeah, yeah to, in that definition, I would yeah. agree. Yep. So I think just the, it, it, I, I have heard it as like, well, I'm an intercessor. It's like, well, shut up. We're all intercessors, <laughs> right? In this kind of definition. So no one on earth, pastor, uh, church leader can be like, you know what? I'll just go to God on your behalf. No, you can go to God yeah. yourself. Yeah. But by all means, pray for each other. Yeah. That's what we're called yep. to do. So, I agree. I think this might be one of our longest episodes ever. So an hour and and almost seven minutes, but hopefully that's been interesting. I know we covered a bunch of different topics, but if uh, that was helpful, let us know, slap that like button. (laughs) (laughs) And, and we do, we always say this, but we do mean it. If you do have other questions that, or topics, it doesn't even have to be worded in a question that are confusing or things that you want us to tackle. Uh, please reach out to us through Facebook or if you have our emails, shoot us an email yep. or a Snapchat or a TikTok. I'm just kidding. We don't yep. have any of those yeah. things. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this has been Off the Record and we'll talk to you next week.